1: Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window podcast, which, you know, brings you the news before it becomes news because it was this particular pod that brought you the news of Manchester United's new director of football and their decision to appoint and indeed change their structure, which was confirmed of course in the last 24 hours. Uh, we'll also bring you insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. i mean, been with me as always is the transfer guru and the man who has led on the story of Manchester United's search to uh, appoint a guru <laughs> for um, their recruitment process over the last 18 months it is now, Duncan. I suspect it's taken a long time uh, to appoint someone, but we have now got a result in terms of uh, the people who they have elected to uh, take charge of that particular process, and they have appointed from within. Not a surprise, uh, given Ed Wood's uh, preference to uh, make sure that he trusts and, of course, uh, can influence uh, those who work in that particular part of the football department. Um, John Murta has been directed has been appointed as director of football, and Darren Fletcher, former Manchester United captain as technical director and Matt Judge, who effectively was doing this particular job anyway, has been officially recognized as director of negotiations in terms of contracts and transfers. Duncan, it's been a long running saga. Um, As I said, it's not particularly surprising that they have uh, appointed people who have already been working at the club is this going to work I think is the question most Manchester United fans are asking uh, because uh, there was a appetite to bring someone in maybe even from abroad who knew and had contacts beyond uh, Manchester United in terms of uh, the recruitment of players, uh, is, I guess, does it satisfy the job description?
0: Well, you're right that they've been at this process for a long time. They started briefing about it in 2018. Um, the issue was raised with the, the previous manager, Jose Mourinho, of bringing a director of football in. He had resistance to that idea, but I was also open to a change in the organisation at the club, but he wanted um, the individual to come in to be someone he felt he could work with, and he proposed um, Lewis Campos as the candidate, um, and United decided not to appoint at that time, said that was going to be a priority after uh, they dismissed Mourinho and brought Solskjaer in as manager. Um, I've briefed on that on several occasions. As you said in December, we reported that they intended to appoint in the new year and had shortlisted a number of very high-profile candidates. And, and I think this is the the key to this story: is they had the opportunity to go for some of the best um, technical directors in the world in terms of established achievements on their. CVs. So Mark Overmars was on that list. I'm uh, told by contacts at Ajax that he actually withdrew from the candidacy after speaking to Manchester United. Um, Luis Campos was on that shortlist. Uh, if you want to hear about his way of working you can go back to the uh, interview we did with Luis uh, a few weeks ago on the, on the podcast. Um, so they, had, they were able to go to the top of the market here um, they were able to put the money down and these would not have been cheap appointments in in terms of salary for uh, directors of football but you could argue they would also be um, not expensive appointments in the context of the club and that if you bring in a top director of football who works and improves your operations then you get that value back in multiples of hundreds in terms of signing the right players um, in terms of improving performances on the field and the, the prize money and sponsorship money that comes along with that. They decided against that. They decided to go for what has been described to me as evolution rather than revolution. Um, and they decided to stick with internal appointments. So they, they have, and John Myrto, they have uh, given him the title of football director. Um, he's been at the club since I think December two thousand and thirteen, when David Moyes brought him from Everton. Someone who Moyes had worked with at Everton in the past, very successfully. Um, he was hired from the Premier League position he had as um, head of elite performance at, at the Premier League at the time, um, and he has been working effectively in the role that he's now been given as football director, without having that title for some time now. Um, you can look to what or Solskjaer said about the appointments. Um, and you basically have a, a strong evidence, as strong as evidence as you could ask for of that. He um, said, uh, I, I've known about it for a little while. I've known John since I came in. He was here when I came. Now it's more of a formal role with the job title. He's still been working behind the scenes and I've worked well with him. It's a cultural fit. Um, For me, the process of our recruitment is still going to be the same with John and Darren in their new roles. It's work that we've been doing for years now anyway with the manager, with the scouting department, with the analysis department, that won't change at all. So from Solskjaer's view, what you have are new titles, a new role, formal role for Darren Fletcher. Um, as technical director and, and he will in many ways be the face of the football department, that technical side of the department. So he will, I am told to talk to the media, he will be involved in uh, speaking to families and to agents and making technical assessments and making assessments about the characters of players and whether they fit what Manchester United see as, um, the type of players to recruit, to build the type of football structure, um, that will succeed for them in the, probably the medium term, maybe the short term. It, but they, they've been quite cautious about identifying when they expect to, to win a Premier League title again, when they expect to be competitive for the Champions League title again. They've always talked about this as a multi-year process. So what what they've done is basically renamed people already at the club, um, met that criteria that they'd set for themselves of bringing a director of football in. And they've backed the changes that have happened since Solskjaer came into the club, the cultural reboot, as Ed Woodward um, calls it. Uh, the The focus on younger players, the focus on, if possible, Um, players from the British Isles, um, focus on improving the academy, focus on development pathways from the academy into the first team. Um, It's been described to me, the scouting process will be to secure the best talent in their local area. If that best talent doesn't fit the requirements, then they go for the best talent in England. If they can't get what they want from the best talent in England, then go for the best talent in Europe and, and actually if you look at their recruitment of young players over the last um, two three years you can see that um, in place they're starting to spend very significant sums on taking 16 year olds from overseas and taking 18 year olds from overseas obviously with the Brexit process they're going to be restrained purely to 18 uh, to year old um, or older signings from outside the UK They've moved towards that path. Now, they've formalised it. This, I think, is a statement from Ed Woodward from the Glazers um, that what they have done since they got rid of Jose Mourinho as manager has been successful. They think it's working. So formalise those roles and concentrate on, um, on carrying down a path where Solskjaer will effectively lead recruitment, because he identifies the positions for the first team where he thinks new blood is needed. Um, Positions and uh, the technical type of player he wants. Then Manchester United's very extensive, I think the biggest scouting department in world football, goes through a list of players to present to Solskjaer. Um, Solskjaer always has a veto. Um, to be able to say, I, I, don't want that particular player. If Solskjaer proposes a name and the scouting department don't like it, if he doesn't fit their metrics, then they have the possibility to say, no, we shouldn't go for, for that. But it, it, it actually has a lot of similarities to the Liverpool model. Um, and it, it's collegiate. Um, so they, what they've avoided doing is bringing in someone from outside who will, the, the, Likelihood was that they would make quite radical changes to the way Manchester United had been operating since Solskjaer became manager. Um, now, those radical changes could have been a good thing for the club. But what you see here, I think, is Woodward backing the process that he has put uh, his, his name to and put a front to, uh, and saying we are going to carry down on down this line. We don't need to take um individuals who have proved themselves to be superbly successful in the transfer market in fact one of the, the the briefs coming out of the club after they announced this appointment was they were discouraged when talking to some of the candidates that they were emphasizing the quality of the recruitment rather than the other areas of uh, of the role that United needed to be filled have they got good people yeah, I think in John Myrtle and and Darren Fletcher, they do have very good football professionals. Um, they're hardworking. They've got a track record in the game. They're intelligent, um, good uh, social skills, good soft skills, if you like. Um, Fletcher is not being director of football. He, he will be. He will be learning on the job, and I think to an extent, Myrtle will also be learning because this is a a higher status role than he's had before but they are um, strong football professionals and I think good appointments in the context of Manchester United making that decision that they believe in what they're doing and want to carry on down that path. Whether that path is the most efficient one for Manchester United is a different story.
1: Two things, Duncan. I'm just wondering if um, Edward Ward's cultural reboot will involve a uh, a boot deal with Nike or Adidas or whoever. Other boots are available, obviously. Uh, we don't want to um, endorse any particular one on the transfer podcast because we are not sponsored by any of those particular companies. But uh, more seriously, um, not people, not many people will have heard of John. Uh, and uh, even Manchester United fans probably uh, are not as aware of him as perhaps they might be but he was one of the very first in terms of pioneering data analysis in football which I think probably has been uh, the making of him but also one of the reasons why he has now ascended to this Role, which of course is the first time Manchester United have appointed a director of football.
0: Yeah, a background in sports science um, degree from Liverpool John Moores University started at Everton in 1997. So, which gives you a, a sense of how long he's been in um, elite football in, in England uh, as an academy sports scientist. And I think one, probably one of the first academy sports scientists you're talking. You know, 24 years ago now, uh, and having sports scientists at academy level would have been unusual at that stage. Then moved on to Fulham to work in the academy there, um, was hired back uh, to Everton. Uh, Chris Coleman, who was the manager of Fulham when, when Myrtle um, was operating the academy there, took him to Coventry City with him for a brief period. Um, then back to Everton, then hired by the Premier League, uh, and then, then, as I say, David Moyes um, convinced them to come in and join him at, at Manchester United when he was made manager um, to help reorganise the, the football department there and to help turn things around. And but you make a good point: is he is not a big name. Uh, I mean, I think if you look at the the profiles that have been written about him. Um, since he was appointed football director, I don't I don't think I've seen one where they've actually named all of the, the clubs he's worked at. Even that's that's how much in the in the background he's been up to this stage, but trusted by Manchester United. Um, I'm told that Mourinho was impressed with his work when he was at Manchester United as manager. He was focused primarily on the uh, the academy side. Um, during that period, um, he is a good football professional, a good hardworking football professional. Uh, and, um, and from that perspective of Manchester United believing they have the right recruitment model and that things have been sorted since Solskjaer came in, it makes sense to go down this route. You see from Solskjaer's words that he trusts Murtu and wants to continue working with him. But important part of this to know is, Solskjaer will drive the transfer process. So he will be he will have a lead in identifying positions, identifying where money should be spent on the first team. Obviously, with the ability of the club to say, no, we don't want that particular player. We think that's a bad idea. But the ideas are are coming from him. And then you can make a judgment and say, if that's what they've been doing since Solskjaer's been in, how good has that process been for the first team? Well, there have been some good very strong signings bruno fernandes is the obvious um example there who who made significant changes to the way the team play and um and its goal scoring and goal creation but they've also been very a very one in particular very expensive and um poor signing in the in the sense that they brought uh, harry maguire in uh, most still the most expensive center back in world football Still a problem area for the team in that it limits the way the team can play, still error prone. So that's a, that's a Solskjaer idea that was not vetoed by the, the scouting structure. Not surprisingly, I think, because it was Solskjaer's first summer in charge. So you back, uh, the guy that Ed Woodward and the Glazers had invested in, but one they're still trying to resolve because they're in the market this summer for another center back to try and fix. Uh, the limitations in the game of the centre-back that Solskjaer had them spend unprecedented sums on. So I think there you can ask the question, if you're leading this process with a manager who has never proven himself at elite level, is that productive for Manchester United or not? Um, on the other hand, if they change that manager and get someone better in, an elite level manager who will drive that recruitment process uh more intelligently, then perhaps with the the, the people working around him um, and the structure they have in place and the trust they have between each other, uh, you can make recruitment more effective by changing the manager rather than the director of football.
1: We'll come back to um, the centre back position in a moment or two, Duncan, on the pod. Um, I'm interested to hear that young Lucky the dog has obviously got an opinion on uh, the situation at Manchester United, although I'm not surprised having listened to you talk about it for the last two years. So um, <laughs> we hope that she is uh, in-, in accordance with you. Um, just a quick word about Darren Fletcher. This is a guy who is extremely articulate, intelligent, very experienced in football and um, and also, uh, and this is slightly kind of um, comical, there literally is no room on the bench for him uh, under Solshar's management because of the coaches he has, despite the fact that he's doing his coaching badges and believes his future is in coaching. But he's made this decision very interestingly to learn his trade as well in administration of football um And also he will be the face of Manchester United in terms of selling the club to players coming in. So I think that actually is a very good appointment for United and one that if they don't know John Murta, then they will know Darren Fletcher obviously. And they'll think to themselves, okay, finally Ed Woodward's got it right. He's um, found someone and has appointed someone who um, we can trust with regards to doing the best for the club.
0: Yeah, very intelligent. I a great thinker about the game. A very hard worker. Um, if you're going to pick someone to be that front of the club and you want a, a recent former player, then I think Darren Fletcher um, has a lot of sense to it. And, and he's not taking on the full mantle of director of football. So he has people who've who worked in, in the organisational side around him and, and that scouting department around him. So it, it makes it uh, the possibility for him to learn on the job. I think the risk for Darren Fletcher in taking this is he, he's made himself a kind of human shield for Ed Woodward in that now there is a, uh, a, a face um, and a title or two titles uh, if you want to include Matt, Matt Judge, three titles and Matt Judge will continue to be the person who talks to agents uh, about negotiations and contracts and, and continue to be the person that agents will contact to discuss renewals and, uh, and to offer players. Um, so there, there's now a Darren Fletcher as a face, there's now a director of football structure in place when things go wrong. Those people can be blamed for the things that go wrong rather than it all coming straight to Ed Woodward. And, you know, that you have to say that isn't a helpful thing for Woodward to have. And he has not handed over any great responsibility here because he's appointed people who he has already been working with. Uh, And Matt Matt Judge, someone he worked with before he was even in the football industry.
1: Well, knowing Fletch, I suspect um, if there's going to be a kind of, um, you know, I'll see you outside, but I Edward mean, Ed would then, I would back Fletch all the way. Um, I'm sure the Manchester United fans would as well. Duncan, you've got some news for us regarding a potential contract extension for one of Manchester United's centre backs, which is interesting given the news that we brought you on the transfer window um, regarding their search for a new centre back.
0: Yeah, look, that they are, as we've said, been in the market for a centre back to solve the Harry Maguire problem for some time now. Um, but they're also-
1: I, I, lo- I, love, I love that phrase, the Harry Maguire problem. We should we should we should we should definitely trademark that along with the uh Nico Gaetan ruse.
0: I don't I don't think it's a trademark that Manchester United will be wanting to buy off us, <laughs> but um I think it's a, it's an accurate description of, of the issue they have. And you know, if they do change centre back, um and get someone quicker in in fact, yeah. You know, if it was possible to do it without embarrassing them, themselves to switch Maguire out and get a faster centre-back with better positional sense, you could see quite a radical change in the way te- the, the team plays. And it's a team which has a very good midfield already, um, v- decent options up front in a number of positions and planning to, to strengthen um, up front in the summer again. Um, but they're not going to go down that route. Um, the the centre-back they're talking to about a new contract is Eric Bailly. Um, Bailly uh, will be out of contract in 2022. They've already taken up the extension that was available in that deal. So they really have to make a decision. This summer, as to what they do with him, because if they they let it run into the final season, then the likelihood is they lose him for nothing. A uh, player that they signed from Villarreal for an initial thirty-five million euros, um, he has made a hundred appearances for Manchester United. Uh, this now being his fifth season at the club, probably been more affected with injury, um, pro- well, maybe with the exception of Phil Jones, than any. Player um, in the Manchester United first team squad. I think more unfortunate with injury, given some of the injuries he's he's picked up in collisions rather than, than muscular problems. Um, but you can see that the fact that they've opened contract talks, they've offered him a pay rise, they've offered a, a superior um, bonus structure there aren't any conditions on that it's not they haven't said to buy it's conditional on you proving your fitness that um that they value the player still um and want to retain him in the squad he will have to take a decision over what's the best route to go down i think there's a there is an advantage to manchester united in doing this now in a covid market because there's a limited amount of money and a limited amount of clubs capable of, of signing by and offering um, something that would be a higher status or an equivalent status to Manchester United at present, he, he could probably get go down a tier. But whether those clubs can afford to pay him the amount that United are offering and whether they can afford to uh, to pay the transfer fee that Manchester United asked, which I understood would be around 20 million euros for a, a summer sale is um, is questionable. Um, I think there's also the context to this that Baye, I'm told, believes he is better than Maguire and Victor Lindelof and given a meritocratic decision-making process from Solskjaer, which is something he doesn't have at the moment because Maguire has to be played and has to be seen to succeed and Lindelof is preferred on most occasions to Baye for the, the partner role. He thinks that given a fair crack of the whip, he can establish himself as as first choice at at Manchester United. So um, let's see how that resolves itself. And Ian, I think you've got some information on on Harry Maguire's stance on a new centre-back.
1: Yeah, Harry Maguire um, has indicated to um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and the Manchester United coaching staff that he would like uh, to play alongside an English-speaking and um, preferably English-born centre-back, someone who understands, in his opinion, um, the culture of Premier League football and also can complement him in terms of the way that he plays the game. McGuire's not someone who has uh, been naturally gifted with regards to passing um, and taking the ball out from the back. He does do it, but as I said, he doesn't necessarily uh, do it as successfully as other players do it. And um, there have been names mentioned. One would be Ben White at Brighton-Hove-Albion, who are more naturally uh, a footballer if you like rather than uh, a defender first and so uh, clearly that's something which uh, Maguire would like because it takes a pressure off him um, and even Solskjaer himself Duncan has mentioned and conceded that perhaps Maguire needs to be complemented by a player uh, much more suited to his game and as you've said uh, Maguire is one of the, if not the, first name on the team sheet um, with regards to United's um, first team. So it has to be said that it, someone like Ben White um, or James Tarkovsky uh, would be the solution to that particular conundrum at Manchester United. And um, this summer they will definitely be looking at uh, the opportunities to purchase uh, a player who can um, play alongside Maguire, given the fact that Lindelof and Bailly have not succeeded uh, in terms of uh, being that person who can partner Maguire. Uh, we hear a lot in Rio Ferdinand himself, of course, formed. Uh, a formidable partnership with Nemanja Vidic at Manchester United, potentially the most successful partnership in the last 10, 20 years. Uh, That would be an opinion which Maguire would certainly agree with, with regards to giving him the, um, the, 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 I wouldn't say protection, but um, certainly the um, option, if you like, in terms of pace, in terms of um, agility, and also, of course, uh, the playing out of the ball from the back.
0: I think I, I, I disagree with you on on Maguire's ability to pass the ball and um, and an ability to step out from the back. I think that is while well, he's not. Hang on a second. Best.
1: Are you praising Harry Maguire?
0: I, as I've said <laughs> said about Maguire from the start, he is a he's he's obviously a good. One-on-one dual defender, and the statistics look great, um, and 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 the, I think this is a measure of where you're not
1: answering the question, Duncan. Are in, you where, in where Harry
0: football data <laughs> analytics let um, or simple football data analytics let people down with um, assessing particularly centre backs because you'll get an assessment of how someone like Maguire does on one-on-one duels when he's taking a player on in the tackle and particularly in the air and he'll come out very well. What you miss is where he's not in position to, um, to get involved in that duel or where he's mispositioned himself and the duel doesn't need to take place because the player's already passed him. He does pass the ball well. Um, he, he's confident enough bringing the ball out. I'm not saying he's the top defender in that regard, but I don't think he's like the, he's a traditional old school defender who's only capable of heading the ball and, and tackling. Um, and, and actually, you know, Manchester United use him quite high up the pitch uh, in, in, uh, in building the play. What he does lack is positional sense and pace and we said this from the very start when they were looking to sign him, once you're past Maguire, you're past him, he's not getting getting back to you. So one mistake in position uh, can let the opposition in for a goal in a way that doesn't happen with, for example, Virgil van Dijk at Liverpool, which radically changed the way um, Liverpool were able to play and eventually led to them winning the, the Premier League title. You can play higher up the field with defenders like that um, I think Maguire's tendency is to drop deep to protect himself in a way that John Terry, for example, did at Chelsea, um, particularly towards the end of his career. And it's not surprising that defenders protect themselves and they don't have pace. I think what's worrying for for Manchester United is that Maguire is proposing someone who speaks the same language and, and understands the football cult- culture of the Premier League as a solution. Um, I think Manchester United need to be picking their next defenders on the best quality available to them in the global market Um, rather than going down the line they they went down last time of, let's pick someone who is English, um, who can be a captain of the club, who who fits the cultural reboot in um, those uh, almost spiritual elements rather than the technical side and the fundamentals of the job and look look at the difference it made to Manchester City when they got over the idea of selecting centre backs on the basis of their passing ability and chose someone who was first and foremost very good at stopping the opposition both in duels and positionally Um, and they went from a team where who were conceding too many goals particularly against more intelligent opposition to a team who rarely concede once they brought Ruben Gias in.
1: Spiritual elements in football. <laughs> that's why he's a doctor, and the rest of us, well, I am one as well, but you know, uh that's certainly a case for uh, argument in the terms of the way we describe football in the modern
0: age. Yeah, the uh, ability to come up with bullshit on any subject, is that what you're saying? Ian? You said it, not me. <laughs>
1: History was made this week um, when it transpired that for the first time in 16 years and indeed in the careers of said world-beating players who have dominated the Ballon d'Or, Cristiano Ronaldo and Leo Messi um, will not appear in the Champions League quarter-finals for the first time in that period uh, as Juventus and Barcelona are both eliminated from the competition. Incredible, really, when you think about it, that the world's two best players currently will not be seen to play in the Blue Ribbon competition in European football however um, it raises questions as well because of course Leo Messi as we know and we have reported extensively on the Transfer Window podcast uh, Messi is out of contract and has offers to leave Barcelona this summer um, with Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain in the frame to sign him but our information is that PSG are also interested in Ronaldo on the basis that they don't believe that Messi will necessarily leave the camp now this summer. And it's an opportunity for them to sign one of the most, well, in probability, most prolific goalscorers and serial winners in world football uh, this summer in terms of the uh, fact that Juventus have not performed um, well, uh, look unlikely to win Serie A's uh, Scudetto and also um, Andrea Pirlo's reign as UV manager is also under threat. Duncan, in terms of Ronaldo, um, he's kind of achieved everything in football, apart from a World Cup win, but everything else he has done uh, with regards to his international and domestic career to win a title in another one of Europe's top leagues. Do you think that would be attractive to him? Having obviously been a serial winner in both England and Spain, and obviously uh, in he's won a title in Italy as well.
0: Look, I think it's a it's a remarkable situation. Not just that the the two of them are out of the Champions League at this stage of the competition, but the two of them are effectively on the market at the same time. Um, as you've said, Jean Laporta's re-election. As Barcelona president has changed uh, the game when it comes to Messi and there now is a possibility he will remain at Barcelona. He's the one candidate that he was he was prepared to stay at the club um, for and you, you talked in a recent podcast how the financial terms had already been discussed um, between Laporta and, and Messi's family and, and representation. Um, Ronaldo is on the market because Juventus are struggling financially and, and struggling from a, a sporting perspective and he is the best-paid player. Um, they're almost certainly not going to to win the title in Italy this season. They're 10 points behind Inter at present, um, albeit with a game in hand, but also four points behind Milan side that we saw in midweek playing very attractive, uh, fluent football against Manchester United at Old Trafford. Um, There are, in the same way that there are limited options for Messi, there are limited places that Ronaldo can move to. Um, And Paris Saint-Germain, with that nation-state funding uh, from Qatar, are one of the possibilities. Um, I think another interesting possibility that has been suggested to me is that you have a club in England who are looking for a striker. Um, are thinking about making a decision of whether they take up the expensive option to keep Padinson and Cavani um, for a second year. Um, there's at least doubts amongst the supporters that Anthony Martial is the answer to the number nine problem. Um, I think it's been it's been suggested that the Glazers managed to bring the Super Bowl back to Tampa Bay Buccaneers by signing a veteran superstar of the game in and, and Tom Brady at, at, a, at a very significant salary cost and and perhaps the idea might be presented to them that they, they bring Cristiano Ronaldo back to Manchester United, a superstar of the game to play that number nine role um, to move them we on say, to the next to level
1: to go to Tampa Bay as a kicker <laughs> It's better salaries in the NFL than they are in the PL.
0: <laughs> well, this the salary is, I think, very important here. Uh, but with Ronaldo, I think there's a difference with Ronaldo and Messi. And Ronaldo still sees himself playing until he's 40, has numerous ambitions of goals he wants to score, uh, records he wants to set, titles he wants to win. Um, Messi has talked on several occasions about how he feels the end of his career at the top level of football is coming closer, how it gets harder year after year. Um, I think you're buying different products between the two, um, although a lot of the the attraction of the players comes in their status and, and that's why they're being marketed to the nation state um, owners um, to see if they can get salary from these these guys on the basis of signing a name as well as a footballer.
1: Just remember everyone who's listening that Duncan Castles has just used the commerce speak of football by saying they are different products (laughs) rather than actual people who play football and are very good at it. Um, True Duncan now, joking aside. Um, It's a situation where, um, I I, I guess, uh, crossroads, in effect, for Cristiano Ronaldo in terms of his career. And um, clearly, he's still a very, very important football player, first and foremost, rather than a product. But in terms of his product, he also brings in a lot of money in terms of marketing and merchandise etc which makes him of course a very attractive option for clubs uh, whoever might want to attract him there. So it will be interesting to see should he decide to leave Juventus um, this summer and move Elsewhere, whether it's um, a sentimental return to um, Manchester United or Real Madrid, or indeed a new adventure in Paris. It's the second podcast of the week, which of course means that we are going to award the donkey uh, to the uh, person or people who deserve to be recognised for their contribution with regards to the last week in football and I'm pleased to say, Duncan, that um, apparently and I haven't even opened a golden envelope yet, we may well have an historical moment. Oh, uh, there we go. That's the golden envelope being opened Uh, with regards to uh, it coming from three nominations in the same game. And that game is Manchester United versus AC Milan. And uh, the are, they are Dean Henderson. Sorry, to say, I should say, sorry, it's the Dido Harding Award for failing to deliver when it most matters. This, of course, is a reference to um, the Track and Trace, which has caused 37 billion pounds and couldn't even track one person within six days. Anyway, um, we don't need to track Dean Henderson because he was on the pitch for Manchester United versus AC Milan and uh, made a fairly um, basic error uh, which led to Milan's uh, equalising goal in added time. We're also going to, and of course we take no pleasure in this, um, point out that Harry Maguire um, failed to, to deliver um, a second goal for Manchester United from a yard out. And um, our old friend VAR, or Valerie, as we have always referred to her, um, when Frank Kessie's
0: first goal and um, the handball was dismissed. So Harry Maguire for the track and trace award. I, I, I think Harry Maguire would be one of the easiest footballers to track and trace if you were if you wanted to <laughs> put a system to do that. I'm I mean, sure
1: strikers it, would agree with you.
0: <laughs> track and evade. I think in in the case of strikers. Um, so we'll we'll let him off with this one. I think Dean Henderson. We said that this was going to be a kind of head to head between uh, Jean-Louis Luigi Donnarumma who Manchester United are considering as first choice goalkeeper for next season because he is out of contract and being offered to them by his agent Mino Raiola and I don't think Henderson did himself any favours in, in that game it's always been the test if you want to be a Manchester United goalkeeper can you deliver in the key moments that this game they're not out of the cup but um, losing that goal um, away goal and at time changes the dimension of the tie and and lowers the possibility that Solskjaer can get a badly needed first trophy in his third season at the club from Europa League. Um, And it was a goal he should save. Um, He's in position, he gets his hand to the ball, but it goes through him and it it has to be said he didn't look particularly clever on the two other balls that went into the net earlier in the game. Um, Okay, Kessie's shot was very good, but I would argue that that's the kind of shot we see David De Gea getting hands to, and we see top um, goalkeepers managing to stop some of the time. Um, and I think yeah, Henderson still has something to prove in, in in having to deliver at the key moments, which is the test for being Manchester United and England goalkeeper. But um, I think this award has to go to VAR. Um, I, it's changed a lot in its implement implementation during the years we've had to suffer it in football. But the, one of the fundamentals and, and still written into those IFAB laws is they should only um, change clear and obvious errors by the referee. They weren't able to demonstrate. There was no video evidence that clearly demonstrated that Kessie handled that ball. In fact, if you look at the three players who were challenging him before he, he shot um, into Henderson's Uh, goal. None of them appealed for handball, which is typically what you see. If a player um, close to an opponent um, sees the ball come off his arm, they will usually appeal to alert the, the referee. There was no appeal from those individuals closest to them. None of the angles demonstrated that it had definitely hit his arm in fact it looked more to have come off his midriff before he shot the ball and they they really should have stayed well alone from that and stuck to the the letter of what is a problematic var law to start with but far worse when when people decide they have to intervene and find fine detail reason to stop what are very good goals being scored and important goals being scored in the game of football
1: well said, as always, Duncan. And um, also uh, well said, because of course we have um, demonstrated that we bring the news before it becomes news. In terms of Manchester United's recruitment of a director of football and a technical director as well. Um, if you want to get the quickest notification in terms of the new podcast which drops, then please. Uh, If you're on YouTube, turn on those notifications, give us a five-star rating on iTunes and also engage with us on our social media platforms, which are at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And Duncan uh, is at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ on our individual accounts. And of course, as you know, we are happy to chat to you about all the subjects we discussed in the podcast, and more. We will be back next week, of course. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Until uh, next week, we say stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.